So this morning, I'm not going to begin with some sort of personal story or a story that is in the news and highly relevant to the culture right now. Instead, this morning, I'm starting with God. And more specifically, the acts of God within the Old Testament. God's grace and mercy and love and forgiveness is seen strung out all through the Old Testament. And I want us to consider these eight acts of God in the Old Testament. Number one, God creates the earth and everything in it, including humankind in his own image. Number two, God chose the fathers of Israel. So from the people of the earth, he brought forth people who would worship and lead and obey him. Number three, God brought Israel out of Egypt. So through the Exodus, God showed grace, mercy, and love by saving his chosen people. And number four, God led his people through the wilderness, providing their every need, even though they complained and rebelled against him constantly. Number five, God revealed himself at Mount Sinai, giving his people laws for which they should obey and would live prosperously. Number six, God granted Israel the land of Canaan. God delivered on his covenants, his promises that he made to his people. Number seven, God raised up kings in Israel, giving people the leaders that they needed and providing a line for the future Messiah to come from. And number eight, God sent his prophets to deliver his message to his people so that they might understand. And throughout these eight acts of God in the Old Testament, his grace and mercy love and forgiveness are on full display for us to see and cherish. And throughout the book of Jonah, we've seen these same acts of grace and mercy, love and forgiveness, just as you would in any other Old Testament book. And today, as we finish up the book of Jonah, we will see it all on full display. But first, I want us to get a little recap in. So, so far in the story of Jonah, we've witnessed Jonah run from God's calling. We've seen some Gentile sailors receive grace and forgiveness from God. We've seen Jonah get swallowed up by a great fish. And while he was in the fish, he repented of his running from God. And then Jonah goes into Nineveh and he gives the word of the Lord to the people in which they themselves turn and repent and receive grace from God. And last week we seen Jonah get angry about all of this. And what we begin to see this week as we finish up the book is Jonah's third fall from grace, at least that we know of in this story, and how pride and legalism build a wall between us and the grace of God. So you can turn to uh, Galatians. We was just there. Krista read it for us. It's in the New Testament just before Ephesians and just after First and Second Corinthians. 
And it says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now we need to understand that, that Paul is not saying that one can lose their salvation somehow. But what Paul is saying is that those who have truly experienced the grace of God in salvation can build a wall between themselves and God's continued grace by looking to their works of the law for their justification. And this letter to the Galatians, it was written to what is called in, the, in most commentaries, they refer to them as recovering Pharisees. It's those Pharisees who are steeped in pride and legalism because all they ever knew was the law and that they were God's chosen people. And this is precisely where Jonah is. Jonah is steeped in pride and justification by the law. And because he is one of God's chosen people, he thinks that he deserves God's grace, while those who aren't do not deserve God's grace. So what has happened to Jonah is that he has fallen away, or he's forgotten the grace that God continues to show him. And instead of being gracious towards others, he's displaying full-blown anger towards them because of his pride and his legalism. And this brings us to Jonah 4, the last verses of the book, four, uh, 5 through 11. Starting in verse 5, it says, Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he uh, should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And as he asked, and he asked that he might die, and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And so looking at verse 5, Jonah sees God give the Ninevites grace and compassion. And then he gets angry. He gets angry with God and he leaves the city to see its final outcome. So kind of picture this. Jonah walks three days into the center, the center of the city while proclaiming the word of the Lord to the people and then he leaves the city and he sets up this sort of tent or covering for some shade 
waiting to see what God's going to do to these people. And I remember when I was in Iraq, we would joke around about the heat of the desert. And when it was really hot, which was most days, we would say things like, even my eyeballs are sweating. I don't even know if that's possible, but in that sort of heat, it feels like it. We would be in, in full-blown gear, sitting in the back of a Bradley fighting vehicle for hours. 110-degree weather, it felt like 130 in the desert, especially if the wind was blowing. So you can sort of imagine why Jonah needs this covering over his head. And now the author doesn't specifically state how long Jonah was there, but from the context, it was more than just a couple of days. I would guess that he was sitting until the 40 days were up, and having some shade was crucial for the life of Jonah. But it certainly didn't keep Jonah from throwing his little fit. And so, for those of us who grew up with brothers and sisters, you can probably identify with Jonah in this aspect. Your brother or sister does something stupid that hurts your feelings, and you know mom and dad, they're going to be so mad. And because it hurts your feelings, you sit back and you wait for the show to begin. Mom and dad are on their way home from work, and and you're just sitting there waiting for them to come in and unleash their wrath on your sibling because they took your after-school snack. But they come in, and with grace and mercy, love and forgiveness, they show compassion to your sibling. And now, now you're even more mad, right? Maybe even angry enough to die. It's kind of how you felt. And this is Jonah. Only the ones he's mad at did much worse things than still his after-school snack. And yet God was still gracious and compassionate towards them. Just as he is with us. And how often do we forget the grace that he's given us? How many times have we looked at some new Christian that doesn't look like us, talk like us, act like us, think like us. They aren't as mature as us. Or maybe they don't believe in the same doctrines as us, and we think to ourselves, they won't last. They will mess up in some way. They'll be forgotten, and I'll still be here. How often do we, like Jonah, sit up on a hill and wait, watching for someone to fail so we can rejoice in their failings and celebrate in our own righteousness. If this is us, like Jonah, we've fallen away from grace. This was Paul's point in Galatians 5.4, and it is exactly what Jonah is doing. And if we aren't careful, this could be us at some point today, or maybe, maybe it's already happened today. And if it has, or when it does, we need to repent. And we need to remember the grace that our sovereign God shows us constantly. And looking at the sovereignty of God, 
We'll go to verses 6 through 8. It says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Well, first I want to kind of explain this plant. While the author doesn't specify the type of plant that God caused to grow, it's commonly believed to be what is known as a castor oil plant. It's a very tall bush-like plant with these really broad leaves and it's native to hot climates and would have provided much shade and shelter from the heat of the desert. But what we really need to notice here is God's sovereignty in appointing things to happen. Just as God appointed a great fish in chapter 1 verse 17, here God appoints this bush-like plant to grow. But why did he cause this plant to grow? Didn't Jonah already build himself some sort of shelter? Well, if you've ever been to a desert-type region, you know there isn't much out there to build with other than some trash blowing around from a nearby city. And so it is entirely possible that what Jonah had built for himself was not adequate. And so God appointed this plant to grow in order to provide much more shade and relief from Jonah's discomfort. And this word discomfort in the Hebrew, it can actually mean evil. The Legacy Standard Bible renders it this way. So Yahweh God appointed a plant and it came up over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from his miserable evil. So what Jonah was doing was evil in the eyes of God. Jonah wanted those people destroyed. And he would have rejoiced if God rained down fire on those people. Yet God sovereignly appoints this plant to grow and that plant would provide him with relief. God showed grace, mercy, and love towards Jonah in this moment. And this plant would soon be destroyed and be used as a picture lesson for Jonah. And at this point, God has provided relief for Jonah in the form of a bush that would place plenty of shade on Jonah as he sat in the hot, dry desert. And Jonah was exceedingly glad about this plant that God had made to spring up out of nowhere. But when the sun had come up the next day, Jonah found the plant dead and shriveled up. But here's that word appointed again. God appointed a worm to eat the tree while Jonah was asleep in the cool of the night. And so we're sort of left asking ourselves, why would God give Jonah this shade, and then the same night, take it away from him. Well, verses 9 through 11, we're going to get that answer. 
But for now, the author is wanting us to see is God's sovereignty in creating out of nothing, just like he did in Genesis 1. And God's not done yet. We see again God's sovereignty in verse 8 when he appoints a scorching wind. And the heat got to be too much for Jonah to handle, and he grew faint. And he asked God, just let me die. Doesn't Jonah seem a bit extreme? Like a little kid throwing a temper tantrum when they don't get their way? Have you ever had one of those moments when God didn't answer a prayer the way you wanted? And you just wanted to throw your hands up? Why, God, why? Why didn't you give me that billion dollar jackpot last night? Do you see that we're more like Jonah than we're probably willing to admit? Maybe not as extreme to the point that we're asking God to just let us die. But we throw these temper tantrums. And when we do, we're acting just like Jonah. And I want you to hear me when I say this, that, that God knows better than you do what you would do if he answered all your prayers the way you wanted them answered. And hear that again. God knows better than you do what you would do if he answered your prayers the way you wanted them answered. So maybe that million dollars isn't good for you. And Jonah does this repeatedly throughout the story. Right? He doesn't want to obey God, but he expects God to do what he wants him to do, not what God wants. And so Jonah throws his temper tantrums, and then God shows grace and mercy. And Jonah continues to blame God, <clears throat> excuse me, and throw his fits as if the sovereign God of creation should be under our rule. And we should notice that four times the author uses the word appoint in this book. And three of those times are right here in verses 6 through 8. So what the author is trying to drive home is this truth of God's sovereignty over his creation. Now, Herman Bobbing, one of the great old dead guys that I read, he says this about God's sovereignty. He said, God is the creator and therefore the owner, possessor, and Lord of all things. Apart from him, there is no existence or ownership. He alone has the absolute authority. If God is the creator of all things, then God is the owner of all things. But God didn't just create a bunch of random stuff. He created with a purpose. And God didn't just create a bunch of random people for no reason. He created mankind in his own image. So why would you ever think that God doesn't love you or the rest of his creation? God created every single one of us for himself to love and to sanctify and what we know from that 
is that God is continuing to create a people for himself. Church, you are created and loved by the creator of the universe. Cherish that. Rest in that. And in the next few verses, God explains the bush and the worm through a picture lesson, and he leaves us with an important thought to think about. Verses 9 through 11 say, But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So God asks Jonah a very important question, but it's a simple question. He said, are you seriously mad about this plant right now? And Jonah, like the little kid that he is, throws his temper tantrum. Yeah, and I'm angry enough to die. And now we need to understand that Jonah has brought all of this upon himself. Running from God, disobeying God, blaming God, hating God's people, and again, throws his fit, saying that he would rather die than go on. Doesn't that sound a, a little like some extreme bitterness? You don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 12, verse 15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Uh, again, the author of Hebrews is describing this wall being built between us and the grace of God, caused by bitterness and forgetting that which God has freely given us. What Jonah is failing to realize, and what we so often fail to realize, is that all we have is by the grace of God. It's God's to give, and it's God's to take. And therefore, we are never justified in our anger against God for removing some sort of comfort from our lives. But there's something more going on here. There's something much deeper than a simple comfort being removed from Jonah's life. In verses 10 and 11, God uses this incident with the Ninevites in the bush as a way to show Jonah the deeper problem of his heart. Verse 10, God says to Jonah, look, you've shown pity for this bush in which you did nothing to work for. You couldn't make it grow. You, couldn't, you wouldn't be able to destroy it. So this bush sprung up overnight, big enough to provide shade and comfort for Jonah, and it was destroyed the very next night. This is obviously a work of God in which he was showing grace and mercy to Jonah. Yet Jonah is so mad about it that he would rather be dead 
God is keeping Jonah alive by giving the very breath he can take. God is saving entire cities, and Jonah's mad about it. Talk about a lack of being thankful for what God is doing and forgetting the grace that God shows. And God isn't done speaking to Jonah yet. He goes on in verse 11, and God says, look, you're showing pity and compassion to this plant. Shouldn't I be showing pity and compassion to this great city? This great city full of people created in my own image who have lost their way and have many cattle. So what's happening here is that Jonah is showing pity and compassion for a plant that he neither created or destroyed. And yet he believes that God should let his own creatures die without ever coming to know him. How silly and really just ignorant of Jonah to think that God, the creator of the universe, who not only created these people, but created them in his own image, should let them die without ever knowing them. Remember Bobbing saying, God is the creator and therefore the owner, possessor and Lord of all things. And therefore all people are his. And he desires that all people come to repent and know him. And when I was studying for this, it reminded me of Romans 9, 15. It says, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So who are we to say who God should and shouldn't save? Who are we to tell the creator of the universe what he can and can't do? But we do it all the time, especially when we're acting like Jonah and throwing little temper tantrums because God didn't give us what we wanted the way we wanted it. So God desires his people to be saved, and so should we. So what do we learn from this last portion of the book of Jonah and really the whole book together. One commentary says this about the book of Jonah. <clears throat> and I'll tell you this hit me harder than it's probably going to hit you. If we show these same things, grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness to everyone we meet, no matter who they are, no matter their morals, their race, nationality, social class, gender, political beliefs, etc., then we have understood well the lesson of this book and the heart of our Savior. But if we show these things to some people and not to others, if we show these things to those like us, but not to those who are different, if we show these things to those we like, but not to those we dislike, if we are in any way selective in terms of the people to whom we show God's grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness, then we still do not get it. 
we remain disciples of Jonah, not disciples of Jesus. As Christians, we claim to be disciples of Christ, but do our lives reflect that? Do we look at those we disagree with in anger or with compassion and grace? Do we look at those that have hurt us in anger or with mercy and forgiveness? Do we look at those in need as a burden or do we look at them with compassion and love? So we need to ask ourselves, are we reflecting the heart of Christ in everything that we do or are we simply getting mad and throwing temper tantrums because the sovereign God of creation isn't doing what we want him to do? God is most glorified when his people represent him well. So let us be a people reflecting the heart of Christ and showing grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness the way God intended us to. And how does this last section point us to the gospel of Christ? Well, the Old Testament points us to a God who delights in showing grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness to a sinful humanity. And if we take anything from this book, it is just that, that God is sovereign and desires his people to know him through the redemption of their souls by the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is strong all throughout the Old Testament, and we would do well to recognize it. And so as we end this book and we get ready to begin a new one, let us see the good news strung throughout the book of Jonah, that God desires his people to know him, and like Jonah, God has commissioned each one of us to take that good news and spread it to all the nations, regardless if we like them or not. And so if you're a Christian, you know that you've been saved, then know your purpose. Glorify God in all that you do. Preach Christ crucified to everyone you meet and live out the grace and mercy love, and forgiveness of God. And if you're not a Christian or unsure if you've been saved, then hear this. That Jesus Christ was born into humanity to live the life we couldn't live to perfection. He was tried, he was punished, and hung on a cross, taking up himself the wrath of God that we all deserved was buried and rose after three days, defeating sin and death, and ascended to the right hand of God where he now sits and reigns. And this was done for you. And if God is calling you to repent, then repent and put your faith in Christ. Whatever you do, don't leave here without talking to me, to Matt, 
and understanding the gospel. And I'll be in the back after this if anyone needs prayer or just needs to talk. So the band, y'all can come up and we'll go ahead and pray.